This is the Right Way Podcast. Right Way Podcast. The 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 Right Way Podcast. I'm Meredith Kernow, publisher at Penguin and Random House, publishing across fiction and non-fiction, and it gives me enormous pleasure to be here tonight talking to Sam Elliott on the Right Way Podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for the introduction there, Meredith Kernow, and hello to everyone out there in digital land listening to this particular episode of the Right Way Podcast program with me, your host, Samuel Elliott, person whom you heard introducing this episode of the Right Way Podcast program is none other tonight's guest on the show, which is Meredith Kernow. Uh, Meredith is a very special guest uh, because we certainly don't get to speak to many of of, um, of her ilk. Meredith is a publisher at Penguin Random House, probably the most prestigious and foremost publishing house in all of the lands, or at least in Australia, I would argue up and down. Uh, so it was an absolute privilege to speak to Meredith and get to hear all about her career, uh, many highlights, you know, coming from working as the festival director for the Sydney Writers Festival and then being the publisher for many years at Penguin Random House and getting to hear her talk about what makes a title stand out, a potential submission of the no doubt thousands upon thousands across her desk as well as, yeah, generally getting all this sort of insight that's very, uh, very rare, very rare privilege to kind of get that sort of insight as to, you know, tips for authors, not just authors, but also those also looking to perhaps get into the industry and become publishers themselves, which again is something very rare. So yeah, it was an absolute joy to talk to Meredith. So uh, without further ado, everyone please give a big digital round of applause to Meredith Kernow talking to me about the publishing industry where she works as a publisher for Penguin Random House. Meredith, thank you so much for joining me on the show tonight. How are you going? I'm really well, thank you, and it's my pleasure to be here. It really is. It's seriously so nice to be able to speak to you. Um, I wanted to start off with contemporary as to what's going on. I wanted to know if the industry has kind of changed a bit since, or dramatically since the, since the pandemic has sort of arrived, and if so, how? It, um, we have been thrown, like everyone and like every industry, of course, uh, we have been thrown so many different things to deal with, not only just being remote, not just from other colleagues, but also from our authors and from booksellers and any event, um, you know, all those different parts of the ecosystem of books and, and writing that are so vital, so stimulating, um, you know, that just keep us thriving. So there was all of that, all going home and working in that way. And then there was um, all the restrictions on retail that have completely changed everything. The, um, the different channels of the way people get their books have been entirely recalibrated. They're, they're coming back into a different balance now than they were in the 2021 lockdowns and they were in 2020. Um, be really interesting to see where they end up later this year. And then there's, you know, freight and services. We, we can't seem to get paper. We can't get freight. We're all, you know, vying for spots at the printer. So there's um, just so much that's mm-hmm. changed things. And then the other thing that has changed radically is TikTok. TikTok, <laughs> TikTok has... Um, come in um, just, you know, coincidentally, I think, or maybe not. Maybe um, it's because people have been home and on their screens more and more, but um, TikTok is re- BookTok has really changed the industry and what people are reading and buying now as well. You know, really, um, yeah, just fascinating. So many things have changed and, 
not at all just um, the, the remoteness of, of, of working. So TikTok is kind of a, its own sort of uh, unintentional promotional tool, is it? Is it so? It's sort of trending books, and is that kind of what's happening? Yeah. So at the moment, not not this week so much, uh, because I think we're seeing um, the forthcoming school holidays and mm. Easter, so that affects the kind of top twenty. But you know, Thursday today is the day that we see the Nielsen Book Scan sales, and in the last few weeks, they've been you know five or six titles that um, their subtitle is TikTok made me buy <laughs> just a few authors that um, they're like Colleen Hoover is is one of them um, Taylor Jenkins Reid uh, their sales have just gone through the roof and obviously there's some really exciting elements to that um, writers are being organically discovered they're not being marketed to I don't think anyone quite knows how to you know we're all trying to use metadata and um, keywords to connect uh, themes and tropes to what's going on in TikTok, but um, really the books that are being found and and kind of selling um, in wonderful numbers have been discovered organically by um, book talkers who who are hugely influential, and a couple of colleagues um, who have children predominantly daughters in that kind of age where it can be hard to keep readers, you know, like 16 to 20 kind of thing. They're thrilled because their daughters um, are, are reading again, you know, not just slogging through uh, their school text, but are picking up books that are really um, uh, moving them because, because it's a lot of, there's some um, psychological thrillers, but there's a lot of romance in there as well. So really fascinating. Isn't that interesting? It's one of the rare times I'd argue that there's been a positive outcome to a social media sort of trend or this <laughs> sort of app. Isn't that amazing? I didn't know any. I didn't know anything about TikTok. Kind of. Um, yeah. Like, look, Google it. Um, you know, just put it in um, in your search engine. Uh, TikTok made me buy it, or book talkers, and you will be astounded. You know, I, I've seen. Um, and I'm not. I'm not sure how many book talk influencers we have in Australia, but definitely we have some. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's there's been some stuff lately around all the um, big influencers. But yeah, they're, they're reading. They're they're big readers, and um, they're encouraging other people to read. And what that has done is changed what makes up our um, bookseller, our bestseller lists and also inevitably because you know publishing is um and retailing are industries of following trends so of course more people are publishing into those areas you know you can imagine everyone's looking at their romance lists and also that kind of new adult you know mid mid adult area um to see what uh, they might be able to see out there and um try and get some more people reading and crying it, it's big to cry and, and I love crying when I read, actually. So, <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm, I'm ready to be influenced by the book talkers. Amazing. So, Meredith, I mean, you, you've touched on that there's, there's been difficulty of obviously getting freights of, of paper, etc. Does that all then equate to there's been, like, less titles that are coming out? It requires between you'd be even more sort of selective with the with the titles that do come out? Um, we, and, and this is actually a kind of a global thing with Penguin Random House, that um, they have, over the last few years, uh, really encouraged all of us, uh, you know, in every country, 
to publish fewer titles and mm. to try and invest in them more. So, and when I mean invest, I mean all resources. So our resource, you know, the publisher's resources, the editors, the publicists, to have more time to um, really focus on those titles and ensure that at every stage of those many stages of um, the chain of a publication that um, every title is getting as much attention as it can possibly get. So um, I, I'm now, as are all of my colleagues, we're um, in adult publishing, I'm not sure of the numbers for kids, we're, um, we're expected to do between around 12 books a year each, which kind of makes sense, doesn't it, one, one a month really. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, then we can look at the list overall. Um, it, it does, and I publish fiction and non-fiction. I am, there's only a couple of us who at Penguin Random House who publish fiction and non-fiction. So that, of course, means for me it's, it's not um, a firm divide each year. You know, I don't necessarily publish six of each. But it does, in my head, when I see a manuscript, I am now going, oh, have I got room for this in mm. 2022, 2023, 2024? Is this the, what, what, I, what I want to form part of the shape of my list? How does that fit in with what else I've got going on at that time so it, it does it, it really um does change your thinking and i think it's true that some years ago i, I didn't i wasn't thinking that way i would see something and want it um mm. you know think it was fantastic and, and want to work with that writer and help build their career and pursue it but it is true that now i know i will look at it and go oh well, you know how does this Am I going to be sharing enough different voices in my list, covering off all these different um, interests and ideas that I want out there in, in the world? So it is, um, you know, in some ways it's restrictive, but in other ways, obviously, it makes you more strategic. It makes you um, think incredibly carefully um, when you look at everything in many ways. And, of course, it makes you incredibly passionate when you go after and get a book. It doesn't mean you get it, though. I just had one recently where, you know, I went um, super hard and I really wanted it and I didn't get it, so I'm a bit sad. <laughs> so, sounds, sounds like that one was a bidding war. Sounds like the best kind of thing that could possibly happen to a writer is the most... Exactly. Yeah, and um, first book as well. So, um, and, and in fact, um, yeah, gone... Uh, you know, I know it's sold in the US as well. I don't know about any other countries yet, but it was out going out in the UK too. So it's sold in the US even before we um, before they got a deal in Australia. So wow. snatched up quickly. Mm, yeah, yeah, sometimes it happens though, no? But it's a rarity, I guess, or yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was talking to an agent yesterday about that. Um, you know, some she was calling to talk about something she was going to send me. And... Um, you know, that's what she said. She said she really still thinks it's a rarity when mm. that happens, but that we focus, we all seem to land on those ones and go, oh, gosh, look what's happening to the industry. And, you know, I remember seeing a little story very recently and kind of trying to work out exactly what they, what which book they were talking about, which writer they were talking about, but that kind of thing, oh, that first novel, you know, went out there and took all the heat from the industry. But... Um, it doesn't happen that often, but it, how, you know, how wonderful that it does. And it just makes everyone really a bit more enthusiastic and, and believe, you know, it shows us all that we do believe in books and, and new writers because it's hard to break a new writer, it really is. So. It really is. I feel like it, there's kind of this, this rut almost of uh, a need to establish writers, but then to also kind of have a stable of established writers because they have a distinct sort of... Uh, 
readership that you can kind of capitalize on there, but then there's still a need for fresh blood. So how does one go about doing that without? Yes. Just sounds like the constant sort of struggle and balance, no? Yeah, yeah, it really is. And um, particularly, uh, like some of my colleagues will publish, um, you know, there are some writers who publish a book every year. Mm. That's not, I don't have any writer who um, publishes every year. I mean, Tom Keneally publishes probably about every 18 months. But even that, you never quite know when your writer or writers are going to deliver. So mm. you're always kind of, you know, that juggle. But absolutely, um, well, you never want to disrespect the writers who you've worked with for some time and, and continue to publish. Obviously, we do need um, replenishment all the time and we need to allow new voices to come through and different voices to come through. And obviously, we are in Australia in a very overdue way, but we were all incredibly, um, you know, I really do believe the whole industry is, is enthusiastically, actively throwing themselves into trying to change our list, trying to change the offerings we um, give to uh, readers out there in order to make it more representative of um, the community of Australia. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it sounds like the the workings behind it or the idea behind it is to establish a relationship that's going to be going on ideally and definitely in terms of uh, fostering some sort of working relationship that could continue even for life, I kind of guess, in terms of uh, if someone's prolific enough, to, depending upon, obviously, if they don't turn out one a year, but nevertheless, quite regular. I mean, Thomas Connelly's pretty pretty prolific, but... That's to me. That's what I'm. That's what I'm hearing, Meredith. It's kind of like that's 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 the most beneficial relationship that you're sort of looking for. Yeah, I, I always think of it. Um, I mean, for me, ideally, it, it is an ongoing relationship, mm. and um, you know, it, it's so collaborative. You, you know, the writer writes, and then you know, there's the editors and the publishers and the production people and the publicists and the marketing people and the digital people and the sales people and the product people, and, you know, the truck driver, every, everyone is involved. And you have to get, you know, one of the things that we get reminded all the time as publishers is that it's our job to sell the books that we're working on every day. Mm. You know, you can't just leave it and go, oh, okay, I've done this and now it's someone else's turn. We have to be selling our books every day to our colleagues, you know, to make sure that they know exactly all those different points. You know, I've got a sales meeting online tomorrow afternoon and a couple of authors are coming along and, you know, binging them up and also at the other end, I'm geeing up the salespeople. You know, so you're selling every day and the whole, you want the whole company to also uh, embrace that and invest. So, you know, you get them all built in and then it's easier for book two and book three with the same author. So you really hope that that really huge upfront investment, you know, pays off over a long time. And, you know, it's often easier for a writer once that, because it's a really, that publisher-writer um, relationship is really intimate. When you're looking at their work and... You know, you have to be unbelievably open and honest with them and, and tell it like you see it. And um, it can take a while to get that relationship in its most productive, um, valuable form. So once once you've both uh, reached that stage, you know, then every, every book thereafter is um, supposed to be easier. <laughs> Not always. But, um, you know, that's the idea that, it, that it, will, it will get a bit easier as you uh, go along and, and easier for everyone. You know, the salespeople already know this much information, so they're like, oh, great, okay, so 
that author, off I go, you know. So, um, but, but it doesn't always work like that. And there are lots of reasons for that, of course. The genesis of that, I mean, like, what makes a title first stand out to you? Because I can't, I can't even imagine how many thousands of, of titles that you would come across or come across your desk. Is, there, is, it, is it something in which you could see the promise of a potential relationship such as what you talked about? Or is it the, the story that grabs you? Or is it a combination of the two? What is it? Initially, for me, and, it, you know, this always sounds so kind of trite. People go, what do you mean? Um, it is, I'm, I'm so receptive to voice. I just, um, and it's just this thing that speaks to you in a little bit of a different way. You know, like so many stories have been the same kind of story out, can be told over and over and over. And let's face it, we go back to it over and over and over. But it's that energy, the drive, the voice, that kind of just, you know, nuances, variations in how they see things. So for me, more often than not, the first thing that I respond to is that voice. And then I have a real, um, and that's for fiction and non-fiction. And non-fiction is a bit different because sometimes you just see an issue and you really want to go there and you want to work with that writer and really hone it and, and get it out there. But still, um, for, you know, real narrative non-fiction, that voice is so imperative as well. But I also, I read so many things that are, are just lovely and great, but I don't want to take them on because I'm for some I'm someone who just really likes to be in a different place when I finish a manuscript than when I start. Mm-hmm. And lots of lots of manuscripts don't do that, and it's deliberate. It's not like it's an accident. They're much more interested in doing something quite di- different, you know, interrogating a, a, a small moment or something like that. But I, I really want to feel a bit different at the end than I did at the beginning or have had my thinking challenged or my heart challenged. Um, so that's something, for me. And, you know, a lot of stuff that I read and I'll sit there and I, I just will kind of give myself a couple of days to see how often I think about it. And if it doesn't keep coming back to me, if I'm not kind of, uh, uh, you know, this kind of, um, could that be right? What did that do? Um, I will then say, no, I'm not the right person for Mm. that so I really it's initially voice and then it's I just want to um keep on thinking about it and and want to get into an argument with the text almost but um you know I don't mean an angry argument I I mean I want to be in in an ongoing discussion with that text I've heard that time and time again about having to fully believe in the in the title for you know to to champion it and it makes it makes complete sense I wanted, I kind of wanted to ask about your previous experience working as the festival director for Sydney Writers Festival and how you feel that that might have shaped your uh, connection because you, you mentioned connection as well with, with writers and I think that that's so important, particularly what you're talking about, this very innately sort of intimate relationship between publisher and writer. And I feel that your background working with untold writers within that sort of capacity as the festival director might have helped shape what ultimately became your sort of work as a as a publisher do you think that's the case i just that's from me from the outset what i what i wondered yeah yeah because it, it was a non-traditional path to becoming a publisher that's for sure mm. and before i was at the writers festival my first kind of post-university uh role was at the publishers association mm. so it was interesting that first i first encountered the publishers um 
at more the publishing companies, like more often than not, it was the businessy side, you know, the heads um, and marketing directors rather than the publishers and editors as such. And then, um, so, you know, I kind of knew the business from that angle. And then when I was at the Writers Festival, uh, obviously it was all about writers and, and dealing with publishers, but all about the writers, their work and them as people as well and how I was, you know, managing them and um, the situations that I was putting them in. And there's no, there's no getting around that, you know, where did... Um, all my leanings go with with the writers rather than the publishers you know I was like champion the writers um and it did because you I was the first director of Sydney Writers Festival in this kind of new form and had to build it up and we it was pretty much free which is actually really liberating because you don't have to um, have the really big names to have mm. people come and give money and obviously you want them and we were lucky right from the beginning that we had supporters you know who enabled that kind of thing but we could also mix them up we could put brand new voices from you know from a pacific island or from parts of western sydney together with renowned international writers so you know one of my very favorite sessions in one of my first years was um nicole from brisbane who was pretty well known by then sia figuel um a pacifica writer you know she's amazing and then juno diaz and they were they, three people who looked completely different you would have thought that their worlds would never um collide and they just kind of hooked up they became this little gang and they talked for four or five days so that sort of felt like because they were on a panel and then they just kept talking and you would see them you know around the wharves and I, I think you're right I think that opened my ear to different ways of telling stories and it certainly broadened my reading that's for sure you know I, I did um, English Lit and Australian Lit at uni and um, you know, I read nonfiction, but it was never my first thing. And the Writers' Festival just taught me so much about story and, and, and broadened my reading as well. Like it helped me discover because, you know, we think, oh, my gosh, we need to get catered to these people. We'll better do something with people who write about sport. And, I, you know, I remember a couple of amazing panels of, of that, not sports people as such, but sports writers. And I thought, God, they're good at telling stories. And then realised the lives of these people were, the sports people were incredible stories as well. So the, the Writers' Festival absolutely did help me um, discover story much more broadly and also to hone my craft. When I first went um, and became a publisher, which was at Random House, and Jane Porfreyman, who, who's now an Alan and Unwin, was my boss and, and mentor. And I remember I was very, um, uh, very tentative about calling myself an editor. And, you know, I, I would be so careful um, in how I tried to restructure a book or something like this. And, you know, for one day Jane just said, for God's sake, Meredith, you know, you're an editor. Look what you've been doing over and over just for your crafting stories. Every panel is a story. Mm, that's what I was going to say, all that you're doing. Yeah, and, you know, that's all you need sometimes. Someone just telling you something in a very straightforward, forceful way. And I was like, oh, I am too. And, you know, thereafter, you just have that confidence to kind of run with it. But, but you're right. It was absolutely, um, you know, I, I still feel privileged that I had the chance 
to do that. Had the chance to work myself to an early grave almost. But, um, you know, it was, um, you know, how exciting just to be able to, I never got her here. But um, every year I could write to Toni Morrison <laughs> pretending that I was you know, going to get her here. And sometimes they wrote back all these amazing people. It, it was um, it, it was incredible. And and to see um, to also see people audiences receiving with mm. generosity and open minds um, the, whatever the writers wanted to share and and the interviews and stuff that that taught me a huge amount. And it taught me stuff that we're still trying to crack um, where and how we market our book, books. Um, you know, that world is made, is made up, you know, we're one big community, but we're also so many different communities. I, I would just love, like I would get some funding um, to bring a writer to the festival from India. And then, oh my God, you would have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, you know, Indian Australians, Australian Indians turning up and going, how did they know? How did they get here? So we still, you know, channels from book publishers to book buyers. I, I still think that we haven't got that entirely resolved, but put on a public event and, you know, there they were and coming to get it. So, um, you know, those, those kind of things absolutely, um, yeah, yeah, they really defined my thinking about writers and, and readers as well. Intoxicatingly surreal, I guess, would I, I'd probably liken that too in terms of those experiences creating creating what you did, looking at your your work there and and seeing like these robust sort of conversations of people that you like you mentioned of to, from totally different walks of life, seemingly have seemingly nothing in common except with their affinity of writing, and then just bearing the fruits of these kind of conversations. And Meredith, you mentioned that you did you you got a degree in English lit? Is that what you? Yeah, and Australian yeah. literature. So, so was, was the game plan always to become a publisher? What was the what was a what was a young Meredith thinking about at the at the time you undertook that? Uh... Young Meredith knew nothing, <laughs> absolutely nothing. I first um, I'm God, I'm so pleased I deferred. I was going to do um, an economics degree at um, mm, Sydney Uni, different. and yeah, you know, I'm so glad I didn't. No offence, anyone. You know. Um, I took time out and worked, you know, to get some financial um, security. And then when I came back, I, d I don't even really, um, you know, kind of remember the moment. And I, I did economics as part of my arts degree in my first year. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, God, it was just um, literature as much as I could do all the way. But no, I, I had no idea uh, where that led to at all I was um, I also think I think publishing I, uh, people tell me it's still opaque I, I feel like there's something going on all the time that people could go and attend at all of the writers centers and podcasts um, everywhere so I don't I don't think it's as opaque as it was then but I, I didn't I didn't have a clue how it worked mm. weirdly enough I feel like um, we all knew a bit more about how media worked, how newspapers worked, and you know Donna Parker novels and things that I read when I was about ten and eleven. Um, you know they were always publishing the school newspaper and then you know or, or, or some kind of suburban magazine. But I don't I don't think um, book publishing came up, and I'm still surprised at um, how blithely I continued devouring books, not thinking about 
who made them or how mm. other than the writers you thought about the writers but not all of those other people involved so um no i i did not have a plan <laughs> and really uh landing a job at the um publishers association after you know a bit of travel and things uh was i mean obviously that you know i applied because i was really interested in it but that's how i really learned what it was about and while i was there i did know that where I really wanted to end up was um, as a publisher in the Writers' Festival was kind of <laughs> just a, you know, bend in the path. Not that it felt like it when I went there, it was so consuming, um, you know, and, and, and exhilarating that um, I probably forgot about wanting to be a publisher for a while. But uh, when I left, I certainly, that was where I wanted to go. And, you know, I'm still really grateful that that's where I landed and, um, you know, because I have been, uh, I've been at um, the variations of what is now Penguin Random House for 19 years. Mm. Uh, so, you know, you can't help but think, oh, God, that's just, I don't think any of us ever thought we would be anywhere for that long. Um, you know, is there something wrong with me? Should I be looking to do something else? Um, and then I'm going, oh, um, what else would I like to do? publishing <laughs> I, I really I love I love my job and I know how lucky that is I know lots of people um, don't have the opportunity to really um, work in their area of passion so I, I, I know I'm really lucky I mean it's kind of dovetail to my next question anyway because I was going to say you've been a big pink random house for many a year and there's obviously there would have to have been something that's that's kept you there for that long I don't know if it's because it's the the agency or the freedom in which you you know you're kind of afforded to, to do what you what you what you what you think is right uh, in terms of the titles are selected, or if it was something else. That's what I wanted to know, though, Meredith. What what is it about Penguin Random House? I mean, obviously, it's it's Penguin Random House. Like it's it's you know, it's, it's probably the foremost publishing house worldwide recognized. So you know, uh, everyone who not even people who read would probably be able to tell you if yeah they said can you name a publishing house, they'd probably be able to say Penguin Random House. But I don't just think, and for you, and you know everything that you've said. You know, there's just so much passion and beauty in all your words. So I don't think it's just the name. I think it must be something else. I'm dying to know. What is it that's kept you up <laughs> house during this time? It took me a while to become orange, of course, um, because I was at Random House. Mm. Um, and, you know, then we merged. So obviously that's an interesting time. And then even when we merged, we were random. We stayed Random House for a while in Penguin. And, you know, mm. it took quite some years um, for us to go that way. And then... You know, these days it's kind of like everyone's orange <laughs> and the orange is a wonderful brand and, and why wouldn't you be? Um, yeah, look, I I know and and when I first started in publishing it was suggested to me by um, my first CEO that perhaps a small publishing company might suit me better and I, I thought she was right as well. I thought, mm. oh, actually that's probably true. I probably said, um, you know, my sensibility might be more for um, a small publisher. Um, but then, you know, the more you learn, the more I realised I, I could do the same things at Random House and then Penguin Random House as small publishers do, mostly. Um, and also do more and do different things. And I, after working in a really small, like the Australian Publishers Association was small, but then the Writers' Festival was really small, obviously, except at, you know, kind of production time, we would get bigger. Um, 
Initially, I found it quite hard to transition into a bigger organisation and I would um, have to be told to come out of my office. We had offices then. I've been open plan for a long, long time now. Um, and then I came to really, really enjoy and thrive on the stimulation of all those different voices, um, experiences, people at work. It's one of the things, you know, when you're asking um, about the pandemic as well, when I started to return to the office, it was so stimulating being around young people again you know and people of all sorts of different ages and I mean honestly I was in dispatch this afternoon putting um, manuscripts in envelopes to go to people who are going to endorse them and um, this young woman in her first, uh, her second job out of university came down she um, works in the sales department and she's just amazing you know her enthusiasm and approach her belief in um, her job and our company and all the books just kind of motivates me every day I love I, I you know it is just brilliant working with all these different people a friend was telling me about um, this big um, Atlantic Monthly article recently that said we should all have friends who in each decade so like everyone should have some friends who are in their 20s their 30s their 40s their 50s and um, you know we were having a laugh and a drink talking about it and then I said I do because of my workplace and it was funny this other friend did as well and then this other friend who was a writer who was like I don't <laughs> he was a bit miserable but it does offer you well and you know my role is supposed to be absorbing bits of the world mm. and um, you know packaging them up to give to all those different viewpoints um, and tastes and demands and desires out there so working with lots of different people um, re really helps me be able to do that. But I, yeah, I just, I just really like them <laughs> as well, and, and and what they bring into my life. I also love having. We're always being um, kind of dissed a little bit because the publishing, editing end of the building is because we're one big floor and all open plan. Everyone from the CEO down, everyone is open plan. And, you know, everyone comes down and goes, it's so quiet down your end, blah, blah, blah. And we kind of think, oh, marketing and publicity, do they have to laugh every afternoon? You know, can't they save it till Friday? But on the whole, I, I just find that so um, kind of, uplifting except for the days so I really want everyone to be quiet <laughs> but um, that's that's something um, the pandemic has given us as well the hybrid model of working we can all work we all um, you know can work from home quite a bit now as well which is great you know those reading days I love you know I'm, I'm a classic introvert with a bit of extrovert I, I, I can do the extroversion as it's long as I can go home and be by myself mm, yeah <laughs> My takeaway from that is like being in live with this sense of community, which is just a really nice thing. And it's, a, it's a, again, that's, that's, we've talked about, we've mentioned a rarity before. That's a rarity as well for, a, for not only for a workplace, but an entire organisation, you know, this sense of community, the sense of doing something and accomplishing, I guess, is, is a really lovely sort of thing that you've kind of, um, you kind of described there to me. Flip side I of that. I think we're so well, lucky. You go. We're just so lucky that um, we get to see the product at the end. So many people make things in their workplace and do things but they don't see the end product mm. where everyone in our whole company sees that 
you know, little packet at the end or can hear the audiobook or, you know, see the um, EPUB file. We, we get to actually see the widget at the end um, of that process and so many people don't, you know, I'm still... Mm. I still just can't quite work out what Atlassian does. I do know, I know, I, I read and read and I understand it, but, you know, it's so hard to show someone kind of what they do, whereas um, it's pretty easy to say I work for Penguin and I make books. What's the toughest part of your job there, Meredith? Because I, 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 I asked myself that question as well, and I wondered if it was going to be a case of uh, not being able to publish every title that you love that comes across your desk, but I just, yeah, I really, I thought that might be, but I really wanted to know from you as to what the toughest part of your job is. Yeah, sometimes, um, so saying no to mm. writers and agents is definitely hard um, and even harder when I have loved something and passionately fought to take it through acquisitions and I don't get the go-ahead. Mm. Um, and there was a particular meeting last year in um, June, because June, we were anyway, it's full lockdown. So, you know, um, my, the acquisitions meeting is sitting, um, you know, in the middle of a house, someone working at that end, someone working at that end, and, you know, there's, I don't know, eight people on my screen, and you just feel like you're, you know, you're just talking, 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 talking. And um, at that meeting, and I think, you know, we were all in a, in a bit of a slump and I had mm. two books that I was unbelievably passionate about and I, I couldn't get either of them through and um, it was a long time since I had been that upset at mm. work and, and I, I was I was really really upset um, but sometimes the hardest thing is another hard thing <laughs> whoops there seem a lot of them is when everything um, like everything seems lined up, a book is really great, critics love it, um, and it just doesn't sell. And the writer has worked, like that's really hard for me, and, you know, obviously I have targets and budgets that I have to meet, but when it's so hard for a writer when they've put everything in, they've really um, over-invested. They have over-invested. They've just, you know, heart and mind and... They have imagined it doing differently and, and when it doesn't and, you know, waiting um, for that moment when you're going to have to tell them, you know, kind of sales and how it's gone and, and knowing that that will impact the, the possibility of them continuing as mm. a writer because not just with me, not just with my company, but everyone, once you're on the record, everyone can look up and knows how, how your book went mm. and it, it will make them kind of think think a second time um, ab about the future book and and that is really hard you know it, it, it's people's careers people's futures people's lives that you're dealing with and and that's that's really hard it's one thing for me to get incredibly incredibly upset <laughs> about not being able to publish what I want to publish but you know, th that hasn't stopped me still having a job. Um, it doesn't stop that work being published by someone else, which, you know, one of the things from that meeting, um, I only found out yesterday who's going to publish it, and it's great, and they'll do um, a wonderful job. So that, you know, that, that is horrible for me, mm. but it doesn't impact um, my career. But 
it is those just knowing when a writer's work is just not getting traction. And that, that might happen with their first book or it might happen a few books in and, and everything just stalls for some unknown reason. And that's what Marcus Dolle, um, the CEO, of, the global CEO of Penguin Random House, he, he talks about that. You know, we get letters from him. He's, he's a really extraordinary person. And um, we get correspondence from him all the time. And um, there was a big, I don't know, some kind of town hall not so long ago. And he just says, 50% of books fail, you know. I'm sorry, but 50% of books fail. And that's what we do. We hear in books. And every time we take it forward, we go. And so, you know, we're all like writing down for our performance reviews. Marcus Dole said 50% of books failed. <laughs> only 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 49% of mine failed or something like that. You know, it is just, it's a bit of a gambling industry and we all try and um, put everything in place to make sure everything works, but um, we, can't guarantee, we can't guarantee it. Things go wrong or, or just get overlooked. Something else comes out at the same time that just takes too much attention. Um, yeah too many pieces to try and get in place. Goodness. So what, what advice then Meredith would you give to aspiring authors that are, that are very serious about their craft, they're prolific, they're trying to get their stuff out there. What would you recommend to them? I, I, I would hope if they're really serious about their craft, they will have read, 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 read. Um, they will um, have read both within where they're writing and where they see their book and read around it as well. That when they um, go forth trying to find the right agent, trying to find the right publisher, they do some work beforehand as as well. You know, they um, look in bookstores online physically now as well. So exciting. You can go into a bookstore um, and know what else is, is around, what they're competing, like the genuine co-relatives as well, or if their book is, quite simply really different you know i was in a meeting today and everyone wanted a co-relative to do a cover brief and i'm going we, there isn't one we haven't done it you know that there are things like this exist of course but we haven't done it before that's exciting it's not a problem it's exciting mm. um but you know to know all of that to really understand their work and who um you know what they think it, it can achieve out there and, and then approach the right agents and approach the right publishers because one of the things that astounds me is um how many people who may have worked away on their manuscripts for a long time or, or maybe not um still don't you know they'll still just send everything they don't every every publishing house as far as i know has submission guidelines on their website and all the agents do as well and and you'd be astounded how many people who just never bother to look that up mm. nor to look up publishing companies like penguin random house is pretty easy but you can be in a conversation with someone and drop a few other names and they'll go who who you know pick up their pen and start writing and you think how can you not know about mm. these really prominent Australian publishing companies? And that kind of shows that they've not, um, you know, just wandered around a bookstore randomly picking up books and having a look at books that might appeal to them. So um, some really good homework, the best uh, letter, check your <laughs> check your spelling. <laughs> it is amazing. We all, of course, we all do it. We send correspondence with 
typos and stuff in it. But um, I, I always try and remind people that a submission is like a job application. You, know, mm. you really only get to do it once. So, um, you know, make sure it, it's the best, most targeted submission that you can make. Definitely takeaways from that is know the market, do your research. And yeah, I, I, I hear that time and time again, the, the read, 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 read inside your genre and read outside of your genre as well. And um, yeah, that one's, that one's astonishing. I mean, I hear it a lot, but it's obviously something that some people don't do, but I don't know how, because there's just so much good stuff to read in every, every different type of genre, as well as the genre that you want to write in. So yeah. That sure is, yeah. yeah. What about, last question there, Meredith, if people who want to get into publishing, who want to be a publisher, God forbid, one day, and, you know, and help people bring their titles to the world, um, what advice would you give to them? What advice would you have given to yourself, maybe, in the, you know, when you undertook um, mm. your studies and your, your, your long career to getting to this point? What, what advice would you give? I would say um, pay more attention, <laughs> Meredith, um, you know, to what else is out there. Be, be for me, be braver and bolder. I, you know, I, I moved to Sydney to go to university. I, I was... I was actually a really shy person, um, but to just attend things, to join, to join Writer Centre, to turn up to events, um, everyone has, like, you know, I went to the Collins, the Australian Society of Authors annual Com- Collins Simpson lecture last week, and that's a free annual lecture, all of these things that are on, and you can just turn up, and, um, you know, it's fantastic to see, and it was um, held in a hall at UTS. And uh, someone had thought to bring up the um, creative nonfiction writing class, and gosh, they're the people who that were just go going forth and asking questions. How brilliant! Um, just you know, attend things that are out there, or listen to things, and learn, and and make contact with anyone you can. And the other thing that I would say is accept any job in a publishing company, getting inside the publishing company to me or, or the agency, the you know, literary agency or any um, kind of parallel um, book, book related company or bookseller as well. Um, it, it's just that first step and you will learn so much about it. Like even going from the Writers' Festival into Random House, I was just shocked at what I didn't know. You know, I really was shocked at like how many copies um, books sold. I had no idea. You know, all the things I thought were a bestseller were not necessarily selling many books at all. I thought they were bestsellers because I thought they were works of genius, of course. But just getting a job inside a publishing house at a bookseller anywhere that can kind of give you that background. I can't tell you how many people I know in publishing who've worked in as a bookseller in, in any kind of um, big or small place. And um, I chair the residential editorial program and editorial committee with the um, Publishers Association and, and Publishers. And we just had finally, after it was supposed to happen in um, 2020 and finally happened, um, end of Feb, we had, uh, we actually had the 2020 Residential Editorial Program in February 2022. And um, so right, editors who are a few years into their career, it's, they have to apply um, and we get some funding for it. And then we put on, um, you know, four or five days of lectures and they do this intense work on a manuscript every day of the week in small groups. And there are a few people there that I had, um, you know, met 
somehow or other, you know, maybe at a writer centre event or something, and someone I'd had a coffee with, and you know, I said to her, just take any job, and mm. she got a job in sales at Random House, and she's now, you know, a senior editor at Hachette, and just has found her niche in life. And I made, uh, you know, made sure I asked her that question in front of other people. I said, was that the right advice? You know, double checking that your advice is still right. She went absolutely just any job inside a publishing company and people um i've seen people move from um sales to rights to product to marketing to publishing you know and one of a young man who's now commissioning editor at pantera he um was an intern in marketing and you know just from chats at the photocopier out a few of us came became aware that he was someone who really wanted to be an editor and we all thought mm, yeah he's of the kind and we said you know come and do something <laughs> come up here tell marketing you don't want to be down there come with us and he ended up being the assistant to the publishing director and then an editor and you know now he's commissioning at pantera all in really not too many years either so it's just getting in and it will help you find out what you need to know and what what where your skills lie what you can bring and and what you can get out of a publishing job as well take any job that's sound advice that's you know demonstrated our success rate there with the people that you've given it to so i mean like that's obviously really really fantastic advice and yeah goodness meredith it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you on the show tonight um it is a we've mentioned rarity a couple of times it's a rarity to be able to speak to a publisher particularly one that works within ping random house and your career is obviously a fascinating one you've accomplished so much good for the industry so thank you so much for having a chat with me on the show tonight i greatly greatly appreciate it thank you and thanks for the podcast i mean you know you give 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 as well sam it's fantastic thank you so everyone, there you have it. That was me talking to publisher Meredith Kernow, working for who works for Penguin Random House. So huge uh, privilege, huge pleasure to talk to Meredith. Uh, get this sort of unprecedented access to the publishing industry from a uh, main mover and shaker within the publishing biz, uh, working for Penguin Random House. So yeah, huge thanks to Meredith for talking with me on the show. Absolute delight to talk to her and gain all that insight. Really hope uh, it is uh, as invaluable for you as well, dear listener. Uh, in the interim, thank you very much to you for listening to this episode of the Right Way Podcast Program, as well as all other episodes of the show uh, in that ever-proliferating uh, back catalogue, as we like to call it, as we cordially or affectionately call it, or I call it, and you've probably come to identify that's the, the way in which I call it and the amount of episodes that I say it. But uh, yeah, if you haven't already, please give a cheeky follow on the Spotify, uh, the Spotify's, if you're listening to it on there, be sure to give that follow button a click. Be sure to also tell any and every person that you know uh, about the goings-on of the podcast, albeit the podcast, and let them find out about the goings-on via the social medias, on the, the interwebs, the social medias, the two Instagram pages for them being the at the right way podcast uh at the right way podcast i should say instagram as well as at samuel elliott author uh to check out all the latest and greatest goings on of both the uh podcast program as well as my rightly pursuits as well but uh yeah give a cheeky follow and to both of those as well as follow on spotify check out the back catalog if you haven't already there's a huge lineup that's coming up booked well into august time now uh but yeah in the interim final thank you to meredith for being so generous for her time and insight into the industry and a huge thank you to you for listening to this episode and everyone please have a pleasant evening